0: Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 27 this morning. Matthew chapter 27. Once we read our text passage and go to the Lord in prayer, when we get back to the message, I'll give you the corresponding uh, passages that deal with... uh, the text that we'll be considering this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 27, verses 33 through 35. Matthew chapter 27, verses 33 through 35. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified Him, and parted His garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted My garments among them, and upon My vesture did they cast lots. This morning we are back to our study and series of messages dealing with the murder of Jesus. We are looking at perhaps the pinnacle of our study, the capstone event. Dealing with Jesus' inhumane punishment. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the time to be in Your house today. We rejoice in You and who You are. And I ask that today, Lord, You help our hearts to be focused and turned to You. Lord, give us grace and strength to do spiritual battle and be engaged in the spiritual warfare this very moment. Lord, help us to resist the devil that he would flee from us. Help us to likewise draw nigh to You. Lord, we do confess and ask for mercy and grace and forgiveness where we've sinned against you this past week and, yes, even today, Lord. And, Lord, we ask that as we undertake, looking at this very serious and somber subject, the murder of Jesus and particularly his inhumane punishment, Lord, what we study today, may it be for the purpose of having a greater and deeper appreciation for what Christ endured on our behalf. Yes, Jesus died for our sin but the manner of his death was inhumane. Lord, help us to have a greater love for you and for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us. It's in his name we pray, amen. We read Matthew chapter 27, verses 33 through 35. The content of what we'll be talking about today would extend all the way through verse number 56. Some parallel passages that you may refer to as recorded by the other gospel writers would be found in Mark chapter 15, verses 22 through 41, Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 49, and finally John chapter 19, verses 16 through 37. We previously noted and in, in preaching on this particular subject, the murder of Jesus, and as inhumane punishment, that the Eighth Amendment to the United States Constitution prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. The majority of states that still practice capital punishment have adopted lethal injection as the preferred method because it it is more humane and it allows the condemned to achieve a quicker death. Now, the Jews and Romans had no such thoughts of mercy towards the Lord Jesus Christ. There would be no dignified, humane death for Jesus. We are in the midst of studying Jesus' murder. Our study has covered at least three different parts up to this point. We've already looked at His illegal arrest and His illegitimate trial. We are in the midst of considering His inhumane punishment. And I say to you again that it is impossible for us to truly appreciate Jesus' sacrifice and what He endured on our behalf unless we understand all that He went through and that includes His inhumane punishment. There were three ways that we intended to study Jesus' punishment and how it was inhumane. We've already looked at the first two. We looked at the emotional abuse that He went through and the mental anguish that He suffered. This morning we turn our attention to the last way in which Jesus' punishment was inhumane. And I want to warn you that it's very graphic. And I want to to give you uh, this caveat today. That what we look at, I'm sure, will be very troubling to you. And it ought to be. And yet, what we're going to consider today is the physical agony... The physical agony that Jesus endured on the cross. Now, perhaps surprisingly, the Gospels are largely silent on the details of Jesus' crucifixion. There is much detail leading up to the crucifixion. There is much detail as to what Jesus says and some of His actions on the cross, but the Gospels are strikingly silent as it relates to the crucifixion details. Thus, because of that, we will look at not only the Holy Scriptures today, which ought always to form the basis for our Bible study and worship, but I will also give you multiple historical references that you can look at on your own to tie all of this together. Now this morning we're considering the murder of Jesus and His inhumane punishment. We turn our attention to the third way that His punishment was inhumane, His physical agony. Jesus' inhumane torture was designed to inflict the maximum physical pain and suffering upon not only Jesus, but any individual that would go through the death by crucifixion. Now when we talk about Jesus' physical agony this morning, we do need to go back and review a little bit of what we've already discussed. Because what we've discussed so far as it related to His emotional abuse And his mental anguish does dovetail into his physical agony. And so I want you to recall when we speak about Jesus' physical agony, I want you to recall the beatings and torture that Jesus endured prior to his crucifixion on the cross. We cannot leave that out when we think about the physical agony that the Lord endured. First of all, as we think about the beatings and tortures that He endured prior to His crucifixion on the cross, we must remember the multiple beatings that He suffered to His head, to His face, and to His body. The Word of God tells us in Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 30, and this is relating to the soldiers, and they spit upon Him and took the reed and smote Him on the head. Prior to this, They had already beaten him, and they would beat him again. In John chapter 19 and verse number 3, the Bible says that the soldiers in mocking him said, Hail, King of the Jews! and they smote him with their hands. And so they literally beat the Lord Jesus Christ about his head, face, and body. We looked at a passage in Isaiah in one of our earlier studies, I think it's in chapter number 52, where it talks about Jesus' visage being marred beyond recognition. That means that as you cannot recognize Him by His facial appearance. He had been beaten so badly. And so, when we think about the physical agony of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to go back and recall the beatings and torture that He endured prior to the cross. And that involves multiple beatings to His head, face, and body. We cannot as well forget about the scourging that the Lord underwent. And I say again, we've had this discussion at lunch a couple of different times, that he was scourged at least once, and there's evidence in the scriptures to say that it could have possibly been twice. In John chapter 19 and verse number 1, the Bible clearly says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. I won't go into all of the details as to what was used to perpetrate the scourging, but I remind you that this involved multiple blows upon the back. And as these blows would cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissue, it would produce first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin and finally spurting arterial bleeding from the vessels in the underlying muscles. In fact, the back flesh was literally cut to ribbons. Jesus endured this beating and scourging. They placed upon him a crown of thorns. This was done in mockery, but it was also done to inflict physical agony. These thorns were not just little thorns that you might uh, prick your hand on when you're picking some type of a fruit. These were the longest, sharpest thorns available. Many of these types of thorns still grow in Jerusalem to this day. They were purported to be two-inch barbed quills that would serve the purpose of penetrating deep into His head as the crown was pushed down with force and might upon His scalp. This, folks, is before the Lord ever made it to the cross. The physical agony that He endured. The beatings and torture prior to the cross. But when we think about His physical agony we must as well spend a few moments thinking about the purpose and design of the crucifixion and the cross. Roy Stewart, who I've mentioned a couple different times and referenced a few different times in our studies, he wrote a work entitled Judicial Procedure in New Testament Times. Roy Stewart wrote this in reference to Roman crucifixion. Truly man, in the most depraved excesses of His cruelty. Never despised a more fiendish capital punishment. And so, Stuart gives us insight as to how this death was inflicted on the cross by crucifixion. It was not some benign, bloodless, painless way of death. No, it was designed intentionally to be inhumane. Now, the Persians were the first world power to practice crucifixion. They developed a method of crucifying victims by impaling them on a pole, raising them high above the earth, and they were left there to die. The Lord Jesus Christ, in talking about the death that He would endure on behalf of His people, references the fact that He as well would be lifted up. And he wasn't talking about being exalted, although he will eventually be. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, the Bible reads, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus was literally saying that He would die on in place of and on behalf of the sinner and He would be lifted up. He was referencing the death that He would die by crucifixion on the cross. Now the Persians' history proves, I believe, that they were the first to practice this deadly, inhumane punishment. Now Alexander the Great and his generals, when they... We're conquering and invading every part of the world it seemed like and establishing the Macedonian world power and world empire. Alexander his generals brought this practice back to the Mediterranean world in Egypt and Carthage. And the Romans apparently learned the practice of crucifixion from the Carthaginians. The Romans, and in particular Emperor Tiberius, designed crucifixion for the maximum agony and pain. They felt like somebody just being put to death and that death being quick was not enough punishment. And so they wanted to extend and prolong the suffering of the condemned. Truly, crucifixion was an inhumane punishment. John MacArthur, who I've quoted multiple times, and I'll let you know again, we're going to reference a number of his uh, works today, a number of his thoughts from his book on the murder of Jesus, MacArthur wrote this, the Romans had perfected the art of crucifixion in order to maximize the pain. And they knew how to prolong the horror without permitting the victim to lapse into a state of unconsciousness that might relieve the pain. The victim of crucifixion would experience waves of nausea, fever, intense thirst, constant cramps and incessant throbbing pain from all parts of the body. Sleeplessness, hunger, dehydration, and worsening infection all took their toll on the victim's body and spirit as the process of crucifixion dragged on, usually for three days or so. The feeling of utter hopelessness, the public shame, and the ever-increasing trauma to the body all intensified as the hours dragged on. Folks, the Romans designed crucifixion and their particular practice of crucifixion for the maximum pain, punishment, and suffering. By all accounts, and by any definition of any humane and dignified society, crucifixion was an inhumane punishment. Then thirdly, and we spend the rest of our time here this morning, thirdly, as we look on the physical agony of the Lord Jesus Christ, we note that we have to not only consider His beatings and tortures prior to His crucifixion on the cross, and think about the purpose and design of the crucifixion on the cross, but we, lastly, must spend some time meditating and thinking about the pain and torture specifically inflicted on Jesus in His crucifixion. And I warn you this morning that we'll be very graphic. Not for uh, the the purpose of magnifying and making magnificent the message or anything of that sort. Not because we want to somehow uh, make it some type of situation that would cause people to be curious about it because of the gore and the violence. But because, again, it reveals to you and I what Christ willingly endured on our behalf. And we were, Darlene and I were talking about this on the way to church this morning. Those people that want to paint Jesus out as some hippie weakling in something that was less than a man, they have no idea the pain and the tor- torture and the suffering that Christ endured. And folks, if you want to talk about enduring it as a man, Jesus was a man's man. He literally exhibited meekness unknown to any on this earth. What is meekness? It is power under control. And Jesus at any moment could have stopped all that He was going through and yet He endured it willingly on our behalf. Oh, when we think about the pain and torture inflicted on Jesus in His crucifixion, it ought to touch you. It ought to bother you. It ought to trouble you. You ought to leave today saying, Oh, man of sorrows, what a name. He's my Savior. When we think about the pain and torture inflicted on Jesus in His crucifixion, we note first that He was nailed to the cross. There was a practice of crucifixion by some whereby they would be placed with leather straps tethered to the cross. This in no way was what Jesus Christ endured. We know that because after He rose again and appeared before His ascension, what did He say to those that viewed Him? He referenced His scarred nails and feet. He referenced the fact that He had been thrust into the side by the spear of one of the Roman soldiers. Listen to Luke chapter 24 and verse number 39 and 40. In Luke chapter 24, verses 39 and 40, after the Lord has been with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then He makes His way to where the, the eleven disciples in the church were gathered together, listen to this. They were afraid when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought He was. they were seeing some kind of disembodied spirit. And the Lord says in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, Behold, My hands and My feet, that it is I Myself. Why did He say that? Because they would have known and recognized by the scars in His hands and His feet that it was Jesus who had suffered on that cross. He goes on and He says, Handle Me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see Me have. And when He had thus spoken, He showed them His hands and His feet. You remember when Thomas was not present for a church service? And we ought to always be present for every service and every time when the church is assembling. You know what you miss when you're not here? You miss meeting with Christ. You miss time with the Lord Jesus. Now, there are other things that you miss. But you miss the presence of the Lord. You remember Thomas? Thomas was not present when the Lord appeared to them. And then they came. We don't know why Thomas wasn't present, but he wasn't there. And they came and they said, Hey man, we have seen the Lord. And what was Thomas's response? <coughs> you find this in John chapter 20, verse number 25. In John chapter 20, verse number 25, the Bible says, The other disciples therefore said unto him, unto Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But he, Thomas, said unto them, except I shall see in His hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into His side, I will not believe. And beloved, just that wording ought to tell you something about the physical agony that the Lord Jesus endured. What would it take? How, how large of a wound would it take to thrust your hand into somebody's side? You ever think about that? And Thomas said, lest I see the print of the nails and thrust my hand into His side. And so Thomas gives testimony that what the Lord endured on the cross was not that He was strapped with leather straps and tethered to the cross, but He was literally nailed to the cross. Now I draw from John MacArthur's work entitled The Murder of Jesus and also from a man by the name of C. Truman Davis who is a surgeon and physician He wrote some time ago an article entitled, A Physician's View of the Crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I cite both of these this morning. And I say to you that Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. He was specifically nailed to the cross while His cross was flat on the ground. Now remember, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, at this particular time, He has had to carry His cross with Him aided by Simon the Cyrenian. So the cross is not in the ground. They did not lift Jesus up and hold Him up there and hammer nails into the palms of His hands and into His feet. I also want to point out that these are not nails as you might envision them. These were more like sharp railroad spikes. You ever see a railroad spike? Railroad spikes are not sharp, but they're very large. They're round and about that long. These were like large, sharp railroad spikes. They were long and tapered iron spikes. And they were not driven through the palms of Jesus' hands. You see these idiotic crucifixes that depict this person that they call Jesus. And he's got a little blood trickling from his feet. And He's got a little blood trickling from the palms of His hands and a little blood trickling from His forehead. That does not accurately represent what Christ endured on the cross. He was not nailed to the cross through the palms of His hands. The palms of the hands would rip and tear and would not support the weight of the body. The tendons and the bone structure in the hands could support the body weight. And so the nails were driven through where? The wrists. The nails were driven through the wrists, and as they were driven through the wrists, they would shatter the carpal bones and tear the carpal ligaments. They would severely damage his nerves and cause intense pain in both arms. He was nailed to the cross through his feet, a single nail driven through both feet. The left foot pressed backward against the right foot, with both feet extended, toes down. Nail driven through each, the arch of each. Thus his knees would moderately flex. Now none of the nail wounds were fatal. But they weren't intended to be fatal. They were intended to produce physical agony. Which is exactly what they did. So we see in his pain and torture that he endured on his in his crucifixion on the cross, he was nailed to the cross. Secondly, His cross was jarringly dropped into a pre-prepared hole. Now, I just referenced this a moment ago. Remember, Jesus had to carry His cross. It was not already there. They did not lift Him up and affix Him to the cross. He had to carry His cross. They lay the cross down. They placed the condemned on the cross. They nailed them to the cross. And once nailed to the cross, multiple soldiers would lift that cross and carry it to a pre-dug hole. And do you think that they would say, now you know what, we don't want to to cause more suffering and pain for the condemned, and so let's let's gently lower the post into the hole. No, they would carry it over, and they would drop the cross into the pre-dug hole. When the cross was dropped and it hit the bottom of the hole, the body would be jarred. The flesh would be ripped where the nails had been put in. Joints would be ripped out of place. This is no doubt what the Bible refers to in prophesying of what Jesus would endure on our behalf in Psalms 22 and verse number 14. In Psalm 22 and verse number 14, the Bible reads, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. So He's nailed to the cross. He's dropped in violently into the hole. Jesus is now made a spectacle along with the two other malefactor thieves that were crucified with Him. And the crowd urges on the public spectacle and pain and humiliation of our Savior. Thirdly, Jesus' body was tortured to achieve the maximum pain and suffering allowable while on the cross. Now when somebody, one of the condemned was placed on the cross and jarringly let down into the hole and the cross is now erect, the person would slowly sag down on the cross with more weight being placed on the nails and the wrists and the feet excruciating pain would begin to shoot along their fingers and up their arms, exploding in their brain. Nails in the wrists would put pressure on what is referred to as their median nerves. In order to try to deal with this onslaught of pain, the condemned would push himself upward to avoid stretching this stretching torment. He would place his full weight on the nail through his feet his arms would begin to fatigue. Great waves of cramps would sweep over his muscles, nodding a deep, relentless, throbbing pain. All of this stretch and torture, or this stress and torture, would result in severe dehydration. The Lord experienced this on the cross. In John 19 and verse number 28, the Bible says after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. This again is a fulfillment of the prophecy contained in Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, in verse number 15, the Bible reads, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. you ever been in a situation where your mouth was so parched that you'd literally give anything for just the dip of some water on your tongue? And imagine all that Jesus is going through and the severe dehydration and all He asked for is a dip of water. Now the resulting cramps that would come about from all that we've described so far, so far and the severe dehydration would eventually result in the inability of the condemned to push himself upward. Most people that died by crucifixion died from suffocation a slow suffocation because the person would then be able to be unable to push themselves up and that stress that would be on their cardiovascular system would render them unable to obtain any oxygen and they would suffocate now think of all of this and all of this suffering in the midst of this we're talking about the physical pain And I want you to notice back in Matthew chapter number 27, and I realize that we haven't really spoken on the text verses this morning, but they were more intended to give us a launching point to set the stage in the context that Jesus is now going to be crucified on the cross. Now in the midst of all that is going on, the Lord has the ability to think about exactly what is happening. He knew that all things were accomplished. He knew that all the scriptures must be fulfilled. He had that thought capability. And you know what other thought he had? Look at Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 46. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken In the midst of all that Christ is going through with His physical agony and pain, He is literally paying for our sins. He is our substitute on the cross. And because of that, God who is of such holy makeup and being could not look upon sin. Thus Jesus cries out to His heavenly Father. After this, The Bible tells us that the Lord gave up the ghost in verse number 30 of John chapter 19. In John chapter 19 and verse number 30, the Bible says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, it is finished. Therefore again, signifying that He had complete and utter control of His thoughts and everything of the faculties of His mind. He knew that all Scripture had to be fulfilled and then He would give up His life. No man would take it from him. John, chapter number ten. So he said, "It is finished," and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Davis, I who I referenced a few moments ago, see Truman Davis in his article, "The Physician: A Physician's View of the Crucifixion of Jesus Christ." He makes this comment: Jesus experienced hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint rending cramps intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain where tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins. A terrible crushing pain deep in the chest. As the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. What happened when the Lord had given up the ghost? They recognized that Christ was dead. The soldiers came over and what did one of the soldiers do? In John 19 and verse number 34, of the Bible says, But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. This is important. And I'm going to explain to you why it's important. The Lord apparently did not die from suffocation or asphyxiation. Apparently, He died from cardiac arrest. And we find that that Davis, again, gives us insight on this. Listen to what he says, and what he he writes, rather. He says, that is, he's he's talking about John 19, verse number 34, when it says that when the Lord was pierced in the side, there came out blood and water. Davis writes, that is, there was an escape of water fluid from the sac surrounding the heart, giving post-mortem evidence that our Lord died not the usual crucifixion death by suffocation, but of heart failure due to shock and constriction of the heart by fluid in the pericardium. The Lord endured all of this. All of this physical agony and pain. And it's interesting to note, and I've pointed out a number of times in the midst of this message that the Lord was yet in complete control of all of His faculties. He was not hampered one bit mentally by what had taken place as far as His ability to act upon prophecy and to ensure that all prophecy was fulfilled. Now the Romans had a method by which they would hasten the death of the condemned. It was called crucifracture crucifracture. And what they would do is they would come through, and if the condemned was still alive, but barely, they would go ahead and break the legs below the knees to hasten the death. Now watch. We find this in John chapter number 19. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter number 19 verses 31 through 33. Notice in John chapter number 19 verses 31 through 33. In John 19 verse 31. "...the Jews therefore, because it was the preparation uh, that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their, le- that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with Him. So they break the legs of the thieves." Then watch verse 33. "...but when they came to Jesus and saw that He was dead already... They break not His legs. And you know the timing of that is significant because again of a prophecy in the book of Psalms concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And that prophecy is contained in Psalm 34, verse number 20, where it says, "...He keepeth all His bones, not one of them is broken." And the bones that He's referring to specifically are these bones that would result in Him having His legs broken at this time. That was not to be the case The Lord was indicating through this prophecy and through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him giving up the ghost that He was in control of His death. That His life would not be taken from Him. He would not just be a victim. He was in control. Now, Jesus endured all of this that He might save us. That He might secure to Himself a people, a holy people, a royal priesthood. Peter wrote about the Lord's suffering. In 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 18, the Bible reads, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. Christ has suffered for sins. And then Peter follows it up by giving insight into the complete and absolute innocence of the Lord when he says the just, that's Jesus the innocent, for the unjust or the guilty. Christ suffered for our sins. We are the unjust. He is the just. Why did He do that? Peter goes on and he writes that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus did not stay on that cross. He did not stay in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He rose again bodily. Perhaps you don't think about all that Jesus endured on the cross. Perhaps you've envisioned Jesus' death as some mere uh, clean act like we might see today where you know, the condemned that would be put to death in the United States would have a needle stuck in their arm and those chemicals would be let go and the death would be very humane and it would be very quick. Not so with the Lord. We saw in our study there were three ways that Jesus' punishment was inhumane. The emotional abuse. The mental anguish. The physical agony. I hope you know the Lord. I hope the death of the Lord means something to you. And I hope through looking at all that He went through in His murder that you draw closer to Him. Now this may or may not be the last message on this topic i'm tossing around perhaps another message but if not if we end here what more fitting way to end than what christ endured on our behalf he was murdered and his punishment was inhumane let's pray